shall turn together to the passage that we have read in Revelation chapter 2. And as I was reading the chapter, I thought that your mind may be asking, which is the church I'm going to pick up? There are three churches listed here in this chapter. And of course, um, it's very difficult to try and identify ourselves with one alone. And indeed, when we went through all these seven churches in our congregation, um, there's everywhere in each of the churches something to learn and apply, not only as a congregation, of course, but as individuals as well. And so perhaps this makes a little bit easier for me here tonight because I don't know you and you will understand that the reason I've chosen a certain church is not because I want to address this particularly for you uh, as a judgment upon you, far from it. Um, but I think the Lord uh, has something to say, not only to myself, but to us all uh, and to you, not only as a congregation, but as an individual, as you begin this communion season and, and you think uh, of the following days and you search your heart and seek to confess to the Lord uh, what he is telling you. Well, no more um, losing time. The congregation, the, the church I've chosen to speak about is the church of the Laodiceans. And so we shall see the passage from the end of the chapter, uh, from verse 14 to the end of this chapter, picking up a few uh, things especially. Laodicea. What place was it like there in history where Christ was writing this letter? Well, Laodicea was a, a lovely town not very far from Colosse, which is famous to us for the epistle that Paul has written to that church at Colosse. But Laodicea in particular was a very, very wealthy town. It was a flourishing town. They had all that you can desire in this world humanly speaking. They were very much independent and because of their wealth, imagine only that when in 60 AD, after a very strong earthquake that destroyed the city, the people of Laodicea being part of the Roman Empire they didn't even want any help from Rome because they knew themselves what to do. They had the means. And they could it 
do, they could do it themselves. They rebuild the whole city even better than before. It was a, not only a very wealthy place, but very famous too, and very fortunate in the sense that they were close to a place of hot springs, naturally there. And that made that place even more famous because from this place, uh, there was an important medicine taken uh, and produced there to help eyesight, to heal many diseases of the eyes. And in fact, in Laodicea, there was a very famous medical school in those days. Many important and famous doctors of the time were in Laodicea. And they were able and proud to spread all this knowledge and be useful for many parts of the empire. On top of this, there was a flourishing business uh, of clothing. They were producing clothes of very high quality. So you can see even briefly how this was a very important city in the Roman Empire. They were very rich. This is the town where the church of the Laodiceans, Christ, is writing. And notice who is the writer, because at every church in this, uh, of these seven churches, every time we read of Christ, he is described in a different way. And here to the Laodiceans, the speaker, who is the Lord Jesus, is defined as the Amen, the faithful, and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, the giver of all things, the one who made all things that the Laodiceans were enjoying, and the one who is faithful and true and tells the truth. So let us notice what this letter is about, and I'll seek to do this um, going through three main points. We shall notice that there is a complaint, then there is a call, and then there is a conclusion in this letter. A complaint, a call, and a conclusion. Well, what is the complaint? The complaint is found in the first uh, few verses uh, of the content from verse 15 to 17, you read what actually Jesus says. And he says these three main things. He says, you are, then he says, you say, and then thirdly, he says, you know. Verse 15, Jesus has a complaint to this church. It is unlike what we find in other churches uh, in, in the letter to other churches like uh, where he is addressing errors 
or enemies of the churches or dangers that are coming from outside of the church or other dangers that are found within the church. But in this church, to this church, like to the church in Sardis, there is no mention of any enemy. There is nothing that is threatening the church from outside, nor there is a specific evil or attack coming from within. There is not a, there is not a commendation, though. They are not commended for anything at all. And Christ makes this complaint about them. And he says, I know that you are, first of all, lukewarm. You are lukewarm. And this means that you are not cold nor hot. You are in the middle way. In other words, the Lord is complaining about their indifference. They are indifferent to spiritual things. It's like they do not react, neither for good or for bad. This is what Jesus says, you are lukewarm. And this is so negative as it is described with the fact that he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So it's obviously not a positive comment. Jesus says, I can't stand this. This is very wrong. It's like one of you in the morning eating your own porridge and finding that within the porridge there's full of dead spiders or something awful. And as soon as you eat it, you have to spew it out. You just can't stand it. It's distasteful. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. You are lukewarm. I have to reject you, he says. It's, it's impossible to bear. Verse 16, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You have no taste. But more than this, it's awful. Your taste to me is unbearable. That's the first complaint. And then in verse 17, Jesus says, not only what you are, but he says, you say also. You say that you have everything. In other words, you are declaring to be independent. You are self-sufficient from God. You don't need me anymore. You don't say you have any need for your soul. No spiritual need. And you say you have everything. And thirdly, again in verse 17, we read not only what you say, but also what you know. And Jesus says, you know nothing. You are very ignorant. You don't know of being wretched and miserable and poor 
and spiritually blind and naked. You are basically ignorant of how God sees you truly in reality. So you see how forceful this is coming across to especially the Laodiceans. Those people who in the church, in fact, were living in this town, and they had this place uh, of uh, comfort because they were the place for hot springs. And, and maybe there is a connection with this reality in the word lukewarm. But that's something for the health and the bathing of the body, but nothing at all for the taste of the mouth. And Jesus says, I will spew you. You, you, you may say that you have everything because you are rich and people come to you for their health, but you don't have me, Jesus says. And then thirdly, again, he says, you think of being so uh, intelligent and knowledgeable, but you know nothing of true spiritual realities. This is Christ complaining for this church. And you are to examine yourself and see if in any of these areas or in these descriptions, perhaps your own heart is described as well at this time of searching and reflection for your own life, this may be one of the places where in secret you find your heart to be, your very life to be spiritually. Christ will complain about you if any of these things are real in your life. But then secondly, notice the call that Christ gives to this church or to these, peop these people. <clears throat> and it is a, a threefold call, in fact. He says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy, first of all, buy of me. Then verse 19, you read, I rebuke and chasten, be therefore zealous and repent. And thirdly, in verse 20, he says to them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. So the Lord is calling these people in this condition that we have described with these three calls or command, if you wish, to buy to be zealous and repent, and to open the door to Christ. What can we say more of these three commands? <clears throat> Christ is calling his people here to buy of me. And from me, Jesus says, from me alone, these things that I say can come from. You are to come to me, 
and buy these things. You are so wealthy and you are so self-sufficient and you are so full of means. But when we look at spiritual realities, you are to come to me, Jesus says. You have to come to me and buy these things from me. It's the same concept that Paul, the apostle, is writing uh, to the Philippians, uh, to the church at Philippi. We read this in chapter 3, verse 7. Paul himself considered so many things in life as rubbish compared to the things that Christ would give. I'll quote to you Philippians 3, verse 7. This is Paul's experience and teaching to the Philippians. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done that I may win Christ. Paul would count all these other things done or rubbish, nothing, less than nothing, compared to the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what best connection we can find of these words of Christ when he says, come and buy these things from me. I counsel thee to buy of me these things. Gold and white raiment and anointing for your eyes. Does not this bring to your mind the prophecy of Isaiah speaking of Christ in chapter 55 where, where God says to his people, uh, for, for uh, um, prophesying about his Messiah, the Lord. Isaiah says, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that has no money, come ye, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The Lord is almost repeating this to the Laodiceans almost word by word. Christ says, come to me if you want gold and raiment and eyesal, the true spiritual realities that were already real there in Laodicea materially. But Christ says, come, buy of me the pure gold of my word. It is there that you will live. It is this that will make you truly rich for all eternity. Come and buy for free from me the true raiment, that white, pure righteousness that I can only give you. And although you are now ashamed and as naked before me, full of sin, from me alone you can have this white raiment, my righteousness that can cover you and can be imputed on you 
as you believe and take my word. Come and buy of me gold and raiment, and I salve. And this may be, in fact, the reference to the oil of the Spirit, through which you really see the truth and the real spiritual realities that are in you and around you. It is only my eyesight, Jesus says, the one that can anoint your eyes through which you can see your true self and the true need you have and how precious I am and how important what I can give you is for your soul. By of me. This is the first call and command for these people. But verse 19 gives us again another important aspect. Because as Christ is continuing, he not only says to them as a solution, buy of me, but he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Imagine the shock of being there at Laodicea and having to hear these words of rebuke and no, uh, these words of complaint and no uh, positive comment at all. That must have crushed their pride so much. After all, they were so important. They were so useful in the world, known world. They were so much admired by everyone. Who would have despised Laodicea? It was a beautiful place, full of gold and money and health, where you could be healed. Where would you go? To Laodicea. And Christ says to them in the church, be zealous and repent. Repent of your state. Because you have done very little. Because there is much you have left undone. This looks a disgrace to hear. And yet there is this gracious call of Christ. That he is the giver. And he is calling them to himself. Come. I know this is a hard rebuke. I know this is difficult to bear and to hear and to listen. But this is why I'm telling you this, because I love you. And every chastening of the Lord is meant to do really this, to correct and to revive and to be zealous in doing this. Job chapter 5, verse 17 says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Whatever harsh words you may hear from the Lord, he is a good Lord. He is not a harsh master, but he is the Lord God who calls you in, in his rebuking to himself. 
be zealous. This word zeal um, is opening up a lot uh, for us because uh, it means something that has to be done with enthusiasm and great energy. When you, per- when you pursue something with zeal, it means you have all your passion and there is fervor in it and there is eagerness and love and all your heart. Christ is not simply saying, repent. But he says, be zealous and repent. You could also, you almost add tears in the voice of Christ here. And you see how much love there is in this call to the Laodiceans. I rebuke you, but it is because I want you to be zealous and repenting. Not simply a temporary shaking of yourself and then the next week you've forgotten. The zeal that Christ is looking here for the Laodiceans is a real godly zeal. It is not the persecuting zeal that Paul had before his conversion. The Apostle Paul, when, when he was Saul, he was zealous. But he was zealous not for God. He was, ze- he was zealous to kill and persecute believers. But this was before his conversion. The same Apostle Paul would condemn his own people, the Jews, because they had zeal, but their zeal was out of ignorance. They they were zealous for the law and the regulations of the Old Testament ceremonies, but they had no knowledge nor a heart for the gospel. That's not the zeal that Christ is looking for. The zeal that Christ is looking for here is the same that he had there in the temple when he was in Jerusalem. When he threw up the tables and he was appalled by the use of his father's house for their own business because their heart was not right with God. And we read in John chapter 2 that his disciples then remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Christ is calling these people for this passion in, and zeal in repenting truly and effectively of their sins. We have many examples in the New Testament uh, as well. Um, and I quote you only two briefly, where you see that the true zeal of, for, of Christ and for his kingdom is clearly seen and it is giving glory to God. Take t- Titus chapter 2, we read uh, of the reason for your salvation of the reason and the goal that Christ has in saving you from your sins. Titus 2 verse 14. Speaking of Christ, we we read, 
who gave himself for us so that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, is this stopping there? Is it simply that Christ died to pay for your sins and to redeem you from death? There is more. Titus, in Titus 2, we read, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what Christ is rebuking his church for. For lukewarmness is a great sin to be repented of. How do you change this? What do you do? Well, prayer certainly is a primary means for this. It is not a, by chance that we read in Colossians chapter 4, that city which, is so, which was so close to Laodicea, and you can imagine that the apostles were easily connected between the two and working with these two churches in Colossae and Laodicea. And Colossians 4, Paul is mentioning of this man, Epaphras. Epaphras, Paul says in verse 12, Colossians 4, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. This man, Hepaphras, was an example of zeal. He was praying and laboring fervently on his knees for this kind of repentance that Christ is calling. So, brethren, yes, prayer will produce zeal. Zeal cannot be man-made. Godly zeal comes out of the Spirit of God. And you are to ask him for it. You are to repent of your lukewarmness. The opposite of true zeal is a lukewarm spirit. Being neither cold or hot is condemned by Christ. Then one more about the call and the commands of Christ. He calls them to buy of him. He calls them to zealously repent of that condition. And he calls them to, in verse 20, to open their door to Christ. This is what you are to do, he says. Open to me. This shows clearly that Christ, as the judge and the truthful and the beginning of creation and the judge of all mankind, he is there willing and available with mercy and encouragement 
Would you ever expect this? From the holy God who is a consuming fire and hates sin. And yet, in his great mercy, he is coming to this church and he says, do this. This is my judgment to you. But I come to you because I love you. And although you are so distasteful, you are so unpleasant, you are so much unbearable with your lukewarmness, I come and knock at your door and stand. And I'm pleading with you, if you hear my voice, open, open. Don't stand there outside ashamed of your nakedness, fearful of everything that Satan can do to you and of everything that he has robbed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to give you what you need. I am at the door. And Christ says, open. Open against all your vain hopes. Away with all that you have tried so far. But open to me. Do not go away. Do not be fooled by all the material things that this town is keeping, giving at you. But open to me. Do not remain in this lukewarm condition, fooling yourself and your soul. Now, where? what is the conclusion? Christ had a complaint. He has a call. But he's concluding this in the most wonderful way that you could ever imagine. Because here are those describe those that overcome. And those who overcome are exactly those that come to Christ and buy and receive of him out of his gracious, loving hand. Those are those that will overcome, that will sit with him in his throne, that will have this eternal life only because of him, because he has overcome. And because he can allow you to call his father your father. The victory is there in Christ and in him alone. There is for you given as you open the door of your heart to Christ, the Lord. You know, Laodicea, in reality today, it is in Turkey, in modern Turkey. And it has another name. It's called, in Turk, although I don't know it, but it's called Eski Hisar. And that means old castle. Just a ruin. 
because that place was built upon material hopes. But you, as you trust the Lord, if you zealously repent, will be victorious. May the Lord grant us all this blessing. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of all lords, eternal one, creator of all things, we cannot but bow down this evening for your gracious revelation and for your faithful calling. So we pray, O Lord, that through your spirit, we may all hear and listen and open the doors of our hearts so that we may share of your great victory over death and sin and the world. Oh Lord, change our hearts, we pray. Continue, if necessary, to rebuke us and to chasten us until we bow down unto your majesty and glory. Help us all, we pray. For your name's sake. Amen.